and touch lives and change us to be more Christ-like. We want to please you in every way. Show us how to do that. And thank you for Sun City West Christian Church. Find us faithful. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we are in Romans chapter 6, if you brought your Bible. The book of Romans is all about sin and grace. Here's some thoughts about sin. A teacher asked his class, what are sins of omission? Student raised his hand and said, they're the sins we should have committed, but we didn't get around to. In a Weight Watchers meeting, someone asked if overeating was a sin. The leader said, we're all temples of the Holy Spirit. If you want to be a cathedral, go ahead. Student asked his professor, would you punish me for something I didn't do? Professor said, of course not. The student said, thank you, I didn't do my homework. You know, some people just don't admit their sins very well. Here's some actual excuses that were listed on insurance accident forms. One said, a pedestrian hit me and went under my car. Another said, the telephone pole was approaching fast. I was attempting to swerve out of its path when it struck my front end. It's the pole's fault. Another person said a guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. Another said an invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my vehicle, and then vanished. And I like this one. The indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. I guess so. Well, in Romans chapters 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul has been discussing sin, and he's tried the best he knows how to do to show that every man, woman, and youth have the need for a Savior. And chapter 6 is kind of a turning point because it tells us how to personally respond to God's offer of salvation. Paul asks and answers his own question in Romans 6, starting with verse 1. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. And some reason, since we're forgiven by Jesus, we don't need to worry about sins anymore, do we? Sin is easy. It's pleasurable. Otherwise, no one would keep doing it. And if we could escape the consequences, the penalty of sin, hey, why not continue to enjoy it? See, if you could take the calories out of Cinnabons, wouldn't you eat them more often? And what would the world look like if everyone could indulge in every whim that they desired and there was no negative ramifications? Well, here's a 13-letter long word. It's called antinomianism. You try that. Antinomianism. It's a Greek word. Greek anti means against and nomos means law, against the law, lawbreakers. And Peter spoke about such lawbreakers in 2 Peter 2.19, saying, you aren't saved by being good, they say, so you might as well be bad. Do what you like, be free. But these very teachers who offer this freedom from law are themselves slaves to sin and destruction, for a man is a slave to whatever controls him. So many 
Christians violate the laws of man and God, and it's a viewpoint that rejects law in favor as doing as one pleases. And we have uh, so many, you just turn on the news today when you get home from church and watch how many flaunt the laws of both God and man. And if they get arrested and receive grace and freedom quickly, they're very likely to go back and do even worse. The difference between antimin, antonym, eh, that word, and the Christian views is one will follow one's own beliefs and desires, and one follows God's will. Some churches, way back then and some churches now, teach easy salvation. You can go to heaven without giving up sin that's clearly talked about in the Bible. Martin Luther was one of the first to use this word to describe Christians who lived immoral lives but still expected to be saved by faith alone. Churches in the first century were filled with immoral Christians. Sound familiar? In Jude, only one chapter, but verse 4, it says certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you inside the churches. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. To another church, Paul said in Galatians 5.13, my friends, you were called to be free, but do not let this freedom become an exercise, an excuse for letting your physical desires control you. And we did a series on Corinth. And you know, the Corinthian church tolerated sins in their church members. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1, it says everyone is talking about the terrible thing that's happened there among you, something so evil that even the heathen don't do it. You have a man in your church who's living in sin with his father's wife. And are you still so conceited, so spiritual? Why aren't you mourning in sorrow and shame and seeing to it that this man is removed from your membership? The Bible says in 1 John 3, 7, let no one deceive you, my children. Again, talking to Christians. Whoever does what is right is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. Whoever continues to sin belongs to the devil because the devil has sinned from the very beginning. We're saved by faith through the grace of God. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to help us to keep God's commands. And our holy lives is evidence that we belong to Him. Paul says, should we continue to live in sin so that God's grace will increase? Certainly not. One translation says, may it never be. And for those of you who are old enough, you remember the Beatles. They're not something you step on. They were a band, and their final album, the Beatles' final album, was Let It Be. Paul McCartney said that he wrote it to express a, a positive attitude. John Lennon, though, hated anything Christian, and he hated that song, Let It Be, because he thought it had Christian overtones, so John Lennon saw to it that the song Maggie May, a song about a Liverpool prostitute, followed it on the album. The Apostle Paul says, never let it be that Christians should continue to sin. God forbid, it's unthinkable. Absolutely not, of course not. 
And Jesus said in John 5, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. In John 8, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And how does this whole life and death and afterlife work? Well, death is all over Romans, the sixth chapter. It was on Paul's mind. Fifteen times he uses the word dead, die, or death in ten verses. Verse 2, we have died to sin, he says. Verse 3, we were baptized into his death. Verse 4, buried with him through baptism into death, raised from the dead with him. Verse 5, we are united with him in death. Verse 7, anyone who has died is set free from sin. Verse 8, we died with Christ. Verse 9, Christ was raised from the dead and cannot die again. Death has no mastery. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin. Verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin. Verse 13, you have been brought from death to life. And it's uncomfortable to talk about death. It's an inescapable reality, and it needs to be dealt with and prepared for, not avoided. So Paul deals with it. And it seems like so many today are just dying to sin, that they use the Bible as a checklist. If the Bible forbids it, that's what they want to do. And it was this way right before God destroyed the world with water. In Genesis 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart, and such it is today. Jesus says citizens of that kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness. People will cry and be in extreme pain there. God's people shouldn't be dying to sin, but dead to sin. We've left that dark world of sin behind us because it leads to eternal death. Jesus said in John 3.19, judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. And by the way, the, uh, John says Jesus is the light. People love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come into the light so others can see they are doing what God wants. Paul said in Colossians 1.13, God has rescued us from the power of darkness, has brought us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. His son paid the price to free us, which means our sins are forgiven. Dead to sin, alive in Jesus. The message version of this verse says, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? So here's how Christians should be living if we're preparing for heaven. 1 John 3, 7, I gave you a part of that before. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what's right, it shows they're righteous even as Christ is righteous. When people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family, born again, do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them so they can't 
keep on sinning because they're children of God. The Greek word here, poie, means to make, to manufacture, to construct, to, to practice. It's used to describe plants that produce fruit. It's the practice of an apple tree to produce apples. It's the practice of Satan to produce sin. It should not be the practice of Christians to produce sin. Jesus said a good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. The fire? Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Now, we all sin. We're not 100% perfect but Christians actively resist sin in every way. They don't condone it. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have put to death their human nature with all its passions and desires. The Spirit has given us life. He must also control our lives. Paul said to Christians in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 13.5, Examine yourselves. See if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. If not, you fail the test of genuine faith. And you know the, the first name of God's Spirit? Holy. I just made that up. Holy Spirit. Seven times in the, New, uh, in the Old Testament, God says, be holy. And talking to Christians, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.14, obey God because you're his children. Don't slip back into your old ways, doing evil because you knew no better. But be holy now in everything you do, just as the Lord is holy, who invited you to be his child. He himself has said, you must be holy, for I am holy. Then you won't be spending the rest of your life chasing after evil desires, but will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things, the godless enjoy. Don't go back. Sunday school teacher described how Lot's wife looked back to the life that she had lived in Sodom and, and she was turned into a telephone pole. A child said, my mom looked back when she was driving our car. She turned into a telephone pole. Don't look back. Don't go back into the life that Christ delivered us from. Jesus said, anyone who starts plowing and keeps looking back isn't worth a thing to God's kingdom. Don't look back. Paul says he didn't look back. Philippians 3, verse 12, he says, I haven't learned all that I should even yet, but I keep working toward that day when I'll finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. Now, here's the process of salvation in Romans 6, and I think it is probably the most important block of Scripture in the Bible. He says in verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We do several baptisms at this church. They've been happening more frequently just recently. Uh, Steve just had some recently, and I've been doing a number. The meaning of baptism is both personal, but it's also a public de uh, declaration of our faith in Jesus. And how important is baptism? 
Well, it mirrors the greatest event of human history, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It pictures dying to our old life of sin, being raised to begin a new life in Jesus. It visually preaches the gospel every time we see it. As we stand in water waist deep, we symbolize Jesus dying on the cross and submitting. As we're lowered into the water, it symbolizes Jesus being buried in the tomb. And when we're raised up out of the water, it symbolizes Jesus rising from the dead. Salvation is a free gift when we accept it on God's terms. Peter preached a sermon on Pentecost about how to get right with God, and it really struck a nerve. Acts 2.37, Peter's words pierced their hearts. Obviously, they believed. They said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter said each person needs to do this for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what's the meaning of baptism? Well, it's, it's a picture. Paul said to his church in Colossae, Colossians 2.12, in baptism, you see how your old evil nature died with him and was buried with him, and then you came up out of death with him into new life. He said in 1 Corinthians 15.3, Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day. Baptism symbolizes a person dying to sin and then beginning a new life as a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5.17, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. And that's why he said in verse 4, when we're baptized into his death, we're placed into the tomb with him. As Christ was brought back from death to life by the glorious power of the Father, so we too should live a new kind of life. And why should we be baptized? Christ commands it. Matthew 28, verse 19, the resurrected Jesus said, wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do everything I've commanded you. We do it because obeying Christ's commands shows that we belong to him, that we love him. 1 John 2, 3 says we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar. And we do it because we must follow Christ's example. That's what Christian means. In Matthew 3.13, Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Jesus said it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And how are we to be baptized? Like Jesus was. He was immersed in water. And the word baptized literally means to dip under water. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Every baptism in the Bible is done by immersion under water. And you remember the example of Philip and the Ethiopian where both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, Philip baptized him, 
When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And when should we be baptized? We should do it as soon as we believe in Christ and we want him as our Lord and Savior. There's a sense of urgency in the scriptures. Acts 2.41 says those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church when? That day. Acts 22.16, and now why delay? Go be baptized and be cleansed from your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And who should be baptized? Only those who have made a personal decision to believe in and follow Christ. Those who accepted his message were baptized, the Bible says, and no one has the right to make this decision for another person. Babies can't make that decision, and there's no example of infant baptism in the Bible. If a person is baptized as a baby, or not by immersion, should they do it again? Yes. We should be baptized exactly as the Bible specifies, and as Jesus was baptized, a church isn't going to save us, and many churches do different things. Go back to the book. Paul asked some who had already been baptized once in Acts 19, verse 2, what beliefs did you acknowledge at your baptism, he asked. They replied, what John the Baptist taught. Then Paul pointed out to them that those receiving his baptism must go on to believe in Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized a second time. And I've been asked, can families be baptized together? And the answer is yes. Sometimes families are baptized together. If each understands the meaning of baptism and each have placed their trust in Christ, we've done baptisms where a husband and wife will link arms together. And they are asked, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Do you want him as your personal Lord and Savior? They said, we do. We're baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Both go down together, linking arms, and both come up out of the water together. In fact, that's what Justin Bieber just did. You know that name, Justin Bieber? He and his wife Haley did that a couple of days ago, August 5th of this year. Justin Bieber said, this is the moment my wife and I got baptized together. This was one of the most special moments of my life, confessing our love and trust in Jesus publicly with our friends and family. They linked arms and both were baptized together. And we did a family of five baptism once where husband and wife and three teenage kids all accepted Christ. They all linked arms together and they all went down into the water together and all came up at the same time. Trust me, it was a time of celebration. And what are the benefits of accepting Christ and being baptized? You know, if in the Bible is a conditional word. Paul says in verse 5, if we shared in Jesus' death by being baptized, we will, we will be raised to life with him. Paul said to another group of Christians, Colossians 2.12, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. He said to the church of Galatia, Galatians 3.27, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes, 
and your clothes surround your body. They're not sprinkled on you. It's a picture of baptism. When we're baptized, we're raised to live with Christ, we're given a new life, we are clothed with Christ himself. So what's the takeaway? In baptism, we share in the, in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. It's lost its grip on our lives. That's why we don't go back to it. And so, you know what we get now? There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And that's why we die to sin and we live to Jesus. Amen? Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, your word is crystal clear. And Lord, we know that there would be no denominations and contradictory churches if we all got on your page. If we all went back to the Bible and examined everything you said on a subject like baptism. If we take the whole counsel of God and not bits and pieces and stitch together a theology that matches what we want to believe. Father, you're clear. You demonstrated through Jesus the who, what, when, where, why, and how uh, that a person should be saved. He was a believer. It was his own free will. He was not a baby. And when somebody argued that he didn't need it, he corrected their theology and said, yes, we do. This is what God commands. He went down into the water, came up out of the water, and God responded immediately afterwards. The Holy Spirit came on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son. So, Father, let's imitate Christ, because that's what Christians do. Unite your church. Wake us up. And don't let us be the lukewarm church of Laodicea, the last church of Revelation that makes you sick. We are essential to a dying world. So, Father, make us hot, red hot for you. Forgive us of our sins. Unite your church under the banner of Jesus Christ alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.